Welcome to the Technology Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Katoon. Today's show is brought to you by Active Campaign. Go beyond email marketing with True Automation by signing up at activecampaign.com slash technori. Get your first two months for free on me. Speaking of companies that are crushing it during pandemic, frankly, apparel got the founder, Heather Eaton here. Welcome to the show, Heather. Thank you so much for having me today, Scott. I usually start this out with uh, my normal, like, so I tried it out. Uh, I use the tech. I, uh, I, you know, I, a lot of the companies that come out here that are in the direct to consumer market, send me products like CBD or alcohol or whatever. I like the alcohol. Sometimes it's water and health foods. Um, the pandemic health foods has not really gone very far for me. Um, in this particular case, I would have to have had my wife join me on the show to talk about the trial of your product, but I will say, and I'll let you talk about what the actual product is, but I will say, as a person who has um, a wife, a daughter, and a daughter on the way, uh, and my wife has a bunch of friends, I'm in I'm in Ladyland, and I hear a ton about the anxiety of going back to work and having to take the bras out of the bin. And That's I know right. people are watching this when we we do the clip, they're gonna look at my face and be like, "This guy's nuts." This is real, and you have built a real business around this, and you've done it in a way that I think. Uh, you know, we talk about in the newsletter about the the modern way of investing, self-directed investing, people just picking startups and equity crowdfunding. You're taking this business to market in a very current, modern, future fashion, and pun intended on the fashion. And I, I just think it's a really, really cool idea. And I think that like you have a product that is so niche, it's so specific, and you can grow other things out of it. I'm sure you're you're thinking about it, but like it's so niche that you basically can focus on product market fit immediately. And then it's like, how much did it cost to get to these people? And how much does my product have to cost? And how many do I have to sell to win? And that is a business that I'm absolutely in love with. So share with us what Frankly Apparel is. And then I, I can't wait to dive into like what exactly your mindset was when you were starting this and like, what were the things that you thought oh shit, I got to get this right, or this will never work or whatever it was. Of course. Yeah. I'm looking forward to the conversation. It's going to be fun. So Frankly Apparel is a direct-to-consumer fashion brand that makes solely braless clothing uh, with really the end goal of making the braless fashion trend accessible to women with a wider range of cup sizes. The reason for that being um, for women, if you wear like an A cup or a B cup, the concerns with wearing a bra or, or going without wearing a bra rather are pretty minimal. Like maybe you're worried about nipple coverage, your nipples, you know, showing through your shirt or something like that. But if you wear a D, a double D, an F cup, there's a whole different host of concerns with going without a bra from movement to support and lift and shape. Um, and so we, we were thinking about uh, myself, I'm a large chested woman uh, with kind of a small waist. It's hard to find clothing that fits, um, but it's definitely hard for me to go without a bra, but I definitely want to. So that was kind of how the inception of Frankly started. And and we're well on our way now in the midst of this pandemic. And uh, it's, been a, it's been a wild ride. So did you launch during the pandemic or prior? So my co-founder Jane and I started working on this business uh, about a year, a little bit more than a year ago. Uh, so pre-pandemic, but we started, we actually brought our first products to market in the midst of the pandemic. Okay, so I, I saw that you guys did a crowdfunding campaign, the Kickstarter on this. Um, I assume that was for inventory to get the first batch off the ground is that or just money to market like what was the yeah a little bit of uh, a little bit of that for sure so um doing a kickstarter and allowing to 
people to, in essence, pre-order our first collection allowed us to pay for COGS and and have that fix that cash flow problem as a brand new yep. brand that's bootstrapped by the founders. Um, it also it was a really good way for us to test product market fit. Um, so Jane and I both just graduated from business school. We're doing this funding it ourselves, not taking a salary. And this was an opportunity for us in a small scale way to say, okay, we can certainly meet the commitment of fulfilling orders for a Kickstarter. But if there's nothing here and we see that through the Kickstarter, then we can we can acknowledge that and kind of move on with our lives. So I, I want to say, you know, about a month ago when it, it seemed like, I never thought COVID was just going to like go away. I was hopeful. I thought things were going to change. And so I would not have made this statement. I would have said it's too late. Uh, but I don't think it is. In the early going of, of uh, the pandemic, when people were in quarantine, this is probably late March, early April. I, I did a podcast with a couple of founders that were doing, they were having a hard time. Like they saw this coming as like, this is not good. Some of them pivoted, some of them did not. And I, I was talking to the audience, whether you're an entrepreneur or not, and saying, there is no better time to go for broke then when everything is uncertain and, and like, even if you're living on savings and like, you don't want to deploy like all the money that you have available to you, but there's a strong chance that you could end up unemployed anyway. And there's a strong chance you won't get hired at the position you wanted, or there will be a pay cut or whatever. Um, and so if there was ever a time to be like, you know what, I've always wanted to take the jump, fire yourself and just do this thing or try it while you're working at home because you're, you, you've, you've saved so much time not commuting and all this stuff. And your boss really has no idea what you're doing anyway. So I, I believed for a long time, like that this was the greatest time. I took advantage of my own advice. I started, you know, started another company. I invested in a couple of companies. Like I, I really like went after it and I see what you guys are doing. And I know it was a concept that you were going to plan and test prior to COVID, but then COVID happens and you guys see that there's traction and you have this like blank slate to just do this and go after it. And I'm just really curious when you, uh, so you're in business school and you're looking at this and I got to imagine when you're finishing up, you're, you have this idea and you're sort of mapping out like business plan and you're doing kind of the SWAT on it and Porter's five forces and all your business <laughs> stuff. And then you're like, okay, we want to launch a, a digital brand and we want to get traction. We want to get a customer base who loves us. We want to develop a reputation for being the solution to this problem. And then from there, we want to roll out different fashion styles and trends. And you end up getting inside of Nordstrom or wherever down the road, because they're like, that is, you were like spandex before you're Lululemon before Lululemon, like you, you're the one and then you stylize it. So what were the, th what's the thought process with you and your co-founder on this? Like, how did you map out how you're going to get this in the hands of customers after Kickstarter? After Kickstarter. Yeah, I think, um, uh, quite an element of this, yes, as a direct-to-consumer brand, the, the whole idea, as a, I think as a bootstrap company, that was a really intentional choice to um, not take funding at our current stage um, because we wanted to control the direction of the company. And yeah. as a female-centric product, um, we kind of, we wanted it to, to be something that like we felt stayed really true to our mission. So I, I worked in fashion before I worked at kind of a, a direct to consumer breakaway brand, Rothy's, uh, they make sustainable shoes. And really what we were realizing was kind of the play with staying direct to consumer is all about the ability to control your relationship with your customer. And for us, that a, a lot of that for women discovery happens through social. 
um, yep. for, for new fashion brands. So maybe you have fashion brands that you've worked with for a really long time that you know what size jeans you are. You can easily like order online from Lululemon because the size is always the same or, or whatever. Um, but when you're discovering new brands right now, especially in the middle of a pandemic, it's certainly not that you're going to a mall and you're seeing a sign on a storefront that looks interesting. And so you're going in. Um, so really that has been like the, one of the main focuses for us um, and the challenge for every fashion brand is customer acquisition. I think one of the most interesting things that's happened to us as we have been exploring and testing different strategies for how to reach customers has been TikTok of all things. So yeah. I think it was like two weeks ago, we went viral on TikTok um, and we have, I think over 2 million views or something on our, on our video. And overnight we got like 46,000 followers. Um, and so that has been something that we're seeing the elements of this mission-driven brand really resonating with our customer. Um, and I think that's how you gain a lot of brand loyalty uh, in the fashion space. It, it can be difficult to, to find IP or super defensible strategies. Um, and so brand is a big part of it. And TikTok, Instagram, uh, Facebook even have been really big avenues and channels for us to reach our customer so far. Talk to me a little bit about the TikTok piece of this. Cause I, I'm a huge, like huge fan for someone who does not use it. Like personally, I'm on every social channel. I try to grow followers. I'm just not, you know what I mean? I'm just, <laughs> I, I I'll tweet back and forth with people and I do, you know, whatever. I'm just, for whatever reason, I've never been able to like find a huge interest in all this stuff, but I know that everyone does and I follow it very closely and I've seen a ton of companies execute on user-generated content and use TikTok to go bananas. And I, I look at this and I'm like, if you went viral, I imagine there was some strategy here that you were like routinely posting things and you had kind of caught on to some sort of trend or track in the particulars of your business. I, I would imagine that I, like, it's not a surprise to me at all that you would go viral on TikTok because I, I could see that going viral literally in any, you know, um, mom's group throughout social media. like. <laughs> done. So I guess the, the question is like, how do you leverage that virality on TikTok? You get followers, but then you have to retarget them, got to spend money on them. You've got to follow up that content with something good to keep the followers. You've got this advantage. How do you guys take advantage of something like TikTok and convert that into sales? Yeah, I think, and one of the challenges with um, continuing content is there's this balance between you want to create enough content to keep your users engaged and re remind them that you're alive. But every time you remind them that you're alive, you also lose some followers because whatever you're posting is not of the specific interest of the, the original yeah. post or content that they followed you for. Um, so that has been a balance that we are, you know, learning to strike on how much is too much, how much is not enough. Um, but in terms of, of retargeting and um, trying to find the, the customer or, engage the customer and convert to sales. As you mentioned earlier, right now, our campaign is actually still live on Kickstarter. And so right now that's the only way that you can buy Frankly Clothing is through our Kickstarter campaign. Okay. That's very intentional choice because we you know, don't wanna have two different avenues and on Kickstarter, everything sells at a slight discount. And so you don't wanna have two yep. different prices. So that's creating some hurdles for us right now. And to be perfectly candid, um, Kickstarter is a largely male audience, like 80% men, I think. Yep. And great for selling women, backpacks. That's right. Yeah. Nice travel jackets. <laughs> um, so the getting women to this site um, and getting them to convert on Kickstarter is an additional hurdle because it's not how women are used to, to shopping. 
So that, that in and of itself is a challenge, but then what we have seen is that women do go to our website first. Uh, they're, they're not going to our Kickstarter, they're going to our site, they look at our site, they see that the clothes are available on Kickstarter and they say, mm, no thanks, but I will sign up for your wait list um, to get notified yeah. when they sell on, on the site. Um, so That's interesting right now, to me that they won't go on the, cause I was just gonna say like, if it, and I've done this with other, other things. I do this with investing um, on Republic, like on our website, you go to the website where you would normally click to buy. It would just take you to Republic and you can do that. So like, it, it's sort of baffling to me that they would go to the website, they would check it out. They would love it. But then like, I'm not going to buy it. I need, I need you to have like inventory preset. Like that's yeah. odd. And we, we are converting some, so I, I shouldn't say that entirely. No, of uh, course. I, I didn't mean and, that it was none. I just, oh no, 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 you're fine. Um, but I think that like, like 85% of our backers on Kickstarter are first time backers. So it's definitely, yeah. it's not a hurdle to everyone, but it's definitely, we can see it deterring people. Um, it's, yeah, I don't, I don't know exactly what that behavior is. I don't know if it's an extra step or if they see it. And I think what, uh, what the comments that we've had when we interact with our customers is this idea of pledge tiers and you pledge it and then you get a reward instead of just buying yeah. it outright. They don't, um, that doesn't seem to be something that, makes sense to them as somebody that's like, I just want to pay the money so and, like, and get my clothes. That, so like that actually makes a little bit of sense. Cause I think about, you said that 85% are first time users. If you think about really anything you purchase and, and I think men, I don't mean this in a gender war thing. Men are kind of dumb. Like they like in kind of maybe a loose term and I'm using myself and everybody I know who's a guy. When we go on Instagram, which I, I do, and like, I actually look mostly because I'm in media, I think, but like, I look at ads more than I look at the content. I almost don't even care what I'm scrolling. I just want to see what kind of cool ads someone can con me out of my money with. And if I fall into it, if I'm like, this is awesome, there's almost nothing short of like a red flashing warning. This is a scam. That's going to deter me from buying it. Like I'm on a mission now. Like I want these Allbirds. I want these Grailer sweatshirts. I don't, I don't even know what I'm buying. And I think women are different. I think my wife is far more discerning. She has an expectation of how the, how the execution of checkout is going to go. And there's this thought of like, if it's not from the website, it's not like, and, and there's no validity here, right? Like whether it comes from Kickstarter or you, it has nothing to do with anything. But in your brain, I feel like if you, you go to Instagram, so you're already kind of in a little mixed water here, it could be anything. You go to the page, you see the site, you click on it. And then it takes you elsewhere to a third party. And it's like, wait a minute, is this going to be like, cause I've bought cheap shit before. Like, is this not going to work? And I think women are far more discerning. They don't want to have to go through this again. They don't want to do the returns. They don't want to jump through hoops. And so I'm, I'm wondering at like a certain point, and I know it's in your, your map here, but in a certain point, I think you learn a ton about your consumer there. And it's like, if most women are not on Kickstarter, then they're almost all going to be first timers. And if they're first timers, then there's going to be skepticism. And really all you need is to get the product in their hands and they will absolutely love it. So I, I'm wondering if like you're on the precipice of, or if there's anything holding you back from being like, all right, we'll have Kickstarter. We'll even keep the same price on our website for a minute and just get the product in these hands. Or, or another company I just recently saw that I think it was furniture because they wanted to make it like super easy. Literally, not like clunky shit. It was like, you know, rugs and stuff. Um, you buy it and you can wear it. If it's clothing, you can use it. You can put it in your house. If you don't like it, they just take it back. Like you don't pay for it. Like you can order everything they have. 
and it all comes to your house. And if you keep it, you pay for it. If you don't keep it, you don't pay for it. And it's, that's an interesting model to me where, and I can look it up after the show and send it to you, but there, there's an interesting model there for you guys, I think with a product that's sort of un, you know, un, not unproven or unknown, but it's sort of unknown in a sense, like the problem is real, but the solution is unknown. Where my guess is if you ran a campaign on any platform and let all the ladies buy everything, don't pay for it if you don't keep it and just take a run at it, which of course puts a burden on you for inventory, but um, you know, depends yeah, on how much totally. you have to It's like the stitch fix model, right? Um, and you yeah. basically pre-bake returns into the cost of your product because you know that you're always going to get one thing returned at least. Um, yep. Yeah, it's, it's definitely interesting. And I think you've hit on something that's so key here. So especially for that target market that I mentioned, which is like the larger chested woman, she has been burned by, you know, so many Everything. things that have claimed to serve her in the past, right? Yeah. So this is, this is already an added hurdle of, well, and we get so many comments, like we do our sizing pretty differently. And frankly, we allow you to choose your size and your bust differently or separately from how you choose the size in your waist and go up a size yeah. in the bust. Um, you know, as people scan these ads for five seconds, eight seconds, the immediate reaction, and, and we get a lot of engagement, um, is this will never work for me. I have, you know, big boobs and a small waist. And yeah. we respond to all those comments and we're like, you are exactly who we're serving. And this is because you don't have any other options on the market. Like we are trying to create something for you. Um, but yeah, she totally has been burned and, and everybody wants to see it on a woman that looks exactly like her, um, that's shaped like her. And she wants to be able to try it on in person, which is a really difficult value proposition in the middle of a pandemic um, as a small brand, you know, yeah. operating out of our home offices. So it's something that as we move forward, we we know that we need to be thinking about those offline channels as well. And how do we allow women to try these on and know that it will work for her and her body? Um, that's just so central to anything in fashion. It's all about fit. I actually think you have a really unique opportunity the way that you frame that because most of the time when they come on and say, this was built for you, they're full of shit. Like it's, or they don't respond to it. Like, cause it's not really for you. Like it's, it, I used to market it, but like, it's not. You're actually in a situation where your initial sale is maybe harder, but once they've bought it, they will buy everything you have. Cause you'll be the only thing that actually solves the problem. And so I think you actually have like a really good opportunity there because these, these like, these customers, like, as you said, there's no place for them to go. So the idea of basically looking at your comment section is free advertising. And if you can get yeah. to a point where you can send them something and just be like, Hey, like, honestly, I'll send you the most basic stuff. What's your sizing. And if, if, they, if you send that to them to say, I'll, I'll let you keep it, just share it everywhere. Like if you love it, Share it, keep it. Yeah, that's and that's absolutely like a main tenet of our, our go-to-market. So we think about our customers as co-creators and we value their feedback and we keep that loop pretty tight, which is another benefit yep. of being a direct-to-consumer company. But we've already seen that. Um, I think that has been like a really interesting part of this TikTok thing is coming from that TikTok where all of these inbounds from people being like, you know, we had two, two different ends of the spectrum in terms of like comments and engagement and direct messages from customers. One was like, hey, I love your product. I want to be an ambassador. I want to be an influencer. Like we started to get a million of those, which is great. That's really good news for us. Um, and then the other end was, I'm really disappointed because you don't sell my specific size, which is actually also amazing feedback for us because a we yeah. do plan to expand our size range and b 
if you are as excited about a concept and a brand, if you are excited enough about it to actually reach out and give any type of feedback, that positive is, or negative, they, then there's something. They can't there, wait right? to buy your product. Like literally like <laughs> right. they're pissed at you because you can't sell the product. Um, right. So no, we're you're, you've got a great partnership. You've got a great situation there. Um, I kind of have two things left on this. The the one is on the just the cost mechanics of this. Like, what what does what do the products sell for? What you know? How does how does that all work for you guys? Are the margins good? Is there like flexibility? You know what what what's your thought process on around the actual product? Yeah. So um, we kind of say that we're at like an aspirational yet attainable price point. So it's definitely a considered purchase. Um, so to, to kind of give you the range, we have three initial styles. We have a midi length dress, which means below the knee, um, a mini dress, and then we have a bodysuit, which is in essence a top. And those three three items retail from just under $100 to just under $200 across the product mix. And then obviously a, a discount on Kickstarter. Um, so, so it's definitely considered purchase, but it's not outside the realm of possibility um, for women yeah. for women to do. Um, the, and that is in large part based on what we could do with our margins. So again, as a bootstrapped business and, um, so I think when you're like a tech company, right. And you are a venture backed tech company, it's all about growth. Um, but for a fashion company managing inventory and managing, uh, like development of styles, et cetera, you really have to make sure that you're profitable on more or less a per unit basis. Um, and that all comes down to eventually like customer acquisition costs. So we, that's how we have like built out our prices. Um, and a big part of what goes into our pricing right now is that we produce in really small quantities because we're a new brand and we don't have so much market penetration. So everything's produced here in the United States, small run at a female owned and run factory, which drives up prices a little bit. Also sure. makes for better quality, but it's a little bit more expensive. Um, so we have made a commitment to our customers too, to revisit prices as we grow in scale. And if we can bring down prices somewhere along in our supply chain, then we want to be able to pass that on to customers so long as we kind of hit our threshold for the, the net net profit. So uh, as a person who was in, not me, you, in fashion, um, I, did, I did a lot of case study stuff on Zappos and mm -hmm. a lot of research on Zara and just really kind of felt like those two businesses in particular shaped the way that I view every business, regardless of whether it's fashion or DTC or whatever. And I think what they mastered, obviously customer experience and shipping was Zappos like claim to fame, but um, it's actually amazing if you think about people who don't, are not aware of the story, like get, get into the Amazon mix and it's like what Amazon was able to develop with same day shipping and how they handled shipping from there after, after they bought and got to crack open Zappos was like, boom. Like it's just, it's completely, like you have no idea the economic impact on Amazon's bottom line because of the acquisition. That's another story, another show. Um, the skews, the skews of Zara to me are a, a master of science. And you look at what you have the opportunity to do, particularly because it's not just about looking good. It's about feeling good. And most clothes companies have to bullshit their way into look good, feel good. It's not really feel good. It's look good. And if you feel confident, then you feel good. This is like, look good, feel good, feel confident, feel better look better. You have an ability here, I think, and the, you know, you know this better than I do, but I, I feel like you can have tiered situations. So it's like, here's the more, um, you know, upscale, like eventually we'll be able to leave our homes. And so this is kind of the more dress, dress apparel, mid apparel, hang out at home with your kids apparel. 
and the price points drop for each one of the apparels. But as long as the cost metrics makes up right, you pay $250 for the premium, $150 for this, 75 or 40, 50, $60 for this. You're really charging the same amount across the thing when you, when you put them together and divide it by three. And then from there, take something out of Zara and just like, you're essentially looking for new styles. Another good example of this in the kids stuff is Monica and Andy. What they did really well, I mean, there's some issues with the online and retail and she kind of got caught up a little bit in the retail space with COVID. But what they did really well is they were like, we, we only have, if you really walk into a store, there's like nine things. They just happen to have like seven or eight awesome styles for each nine thing and they just cycle them in and out. So basically as long as every, every year and a half, you have another kid the same age, you're just gonna keep buying more things. And you have that ability to do that here where, you know, you could spin this up to where you're a really niche, cool, well set up brand for women of a certain body type. And then that sort of expands as far as like what body types you're hitting. And then it's like working professional, going out, working mom, stay at home, like the whole thing. But you never leave four SKUs. You have complete control of your business at all times. And that, you know, from a investor standpoint, now you're talking. And from an acquisition standpoint, I mean, there's, there's no less than a hundred brands that are like staring right at you. That's just my take looking at what you've said. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. I think that's something that we've been talking a lot about with, because I think when we originally started this business, we were like, our target customer is a millennial professional woman who, you know, wants to be taken seriously. So she doesn't feel like she can totally go without a bra, but she certainly doesn't want to be wearing one. Um, and, you know, she's hyper social. She wants to look good when she goes out, sees her friends, et cetera. And that's who we built all these initial products for. And, you know, as we were experimenting with TikTok, the fastest growing segment on TikTok is women age over, over 35. But right now it's primarily a really? platform. Yeah, I know. It's not crazy. Wow. I did not know yeah. that. But still, as of now, like active users, it's primarily Gen Z. Yeah. Um, yep. And so the Gen Z consumers can't, can't really pay this price point, not, at least not all of them. Um, and oh. so there have been a lot of questions there about like, we want this to be more accessible, not just for women of all cup sizes, but for women in all walks of life. Um, I think so thinking about Gen Z and then the other piece that we've been getting a lot that we've already started investigating and kind of looking into is thinking about new and expecting mothers, um, which is yep. right up your wife's alley, right? Um, yep. The the trials and tribulations of breastfeeding in particular make for going braless to be like a very valuable proposition. But again, there are other elements that you have to consider. Um, that's not exactly my life stage, but it's something that we're starting to look into that I think, again, could be like a really good um, niche for us to fit into. You make a fortune if you solve the uh, bra slash bra less breastfeeding solution. Literally. <laughs> right. I mean... <laughs> You, you go into one Facebook women's group and it's over. Like the yeah, business exactly. is sold for a bill. <laughs> it's crazy. Like you could charge anything. My wife would have paid anything, honestly. <laughs> it would just feel like you pay what you think we're worth, which would have been good for you guys. So I, I think this is super fascinating. I love the way that you approach this. Like I said, when I had Monica on, it reminds me a lot of that. You know, I think when you look at your, your sort of circumstances now, as you start to pivot into like growing this business and you come back to reality at some point, you know, what, what are your what are your kind of near-term goals after you get to the, you know, right now it's in the stage of like finding the product market fit and making sure everyone can pay for it and distribution and so forth. But I'm guessing you have an eye on like, okay, how do we want to like really expand the brand beyond just having, uh, you know, user engagement TikTok is our driving force. Like you have a, 
a digital brand here that, you know, again, I, I guess I'm curious with this too. It's like, you're at Stanford. When did you finish at Stanford? I graduated in June. Oh, nice. Okay. So you're at Stanford, you're in business school, you're talking about all these different businesses. I think a lot of the, the old school ways of thinking of influencers, like I, I honestly, myself, I was at Northwestern, um, 2013. So I was a little bit ahead of the curve on influencer to, to market. Yeah. They laughed my ass out pretty, pretty much. Like they were like, you're out of your mind. And I looked at it like if I could create a brand around myself, and it doesn't have to just be you. It could be your, it could be frankly apparel. It could be whatever you want. But if I could build a brand around myself and then I could come up with interesting products to sell underneath my own brand, I don't have to run a big boy business. I can just have like a really cool mechanism that I just, every couple of years, I've got another thing, you know, whether it's CBD and tinctures or whatever, you know, whatever, whatever I am into at that time. Right. I think that you have that element like right here, you're sitting on this. And I, I'm, I'm just curious, like in your mind, as you were at Stanford and then out of this, like, how do you view your brand long-term? Do you view it as it's like, we're D to C now because of how things are. We want to be in stores. We want to be a regular kind of shop. Or it's like, no, we don't really ever have to do that. Like we can be this and just be really good at it. Yeah, I think if we had the choice, we would probably stay D to C forever. Um, I think, again, you, you kind of lose lose the relationship with your customer when you become a wholesale business. Um, and so that's part of it. The the key to maintaining a brand in fashion, especially, is like that re- one-to-one relationship with customers and yep. um, having that having our brand resonate with them. And you just lose so much control over that when you lose control over the pricing a little bit and how it's yep. set up. And it, it just feels a lot less personal. Um, so we'd like to say D to C, but I think you're right. I think that there are lots of ways to grow this brand around, um, it's, it's the Glossier model, right? Like you have this, yeah, this blog sure. basically that you start and it's all about you and the things that you like and the type of lifestyle you lead and then what goes along with that. Um, and we, we talk about that a lot, like, and it's exactly what you said earlier in this podcast, actually, what we think about what Lululemon did for athleisure or what Spanx did for shapewear. And that is where we see the future of frankly going. We want to do that yeah. for braless clothing and then expand from there. There are, there are so many different areas we could go in, right? Like we hear from customers that are new and expecting mothers. We hear from elderly customers who are like, I have trouble hooking and unhooking my bra. Like, we could certainly delve into braless clothing for different types of, of yeah. customers, but we could also, I think what is really interesting to us and where I think that there's a really good play here is about um, non-standard fit basically. And we are specifically making for sort of disproportionately busty women. But another cu- question that we get is like, okay, well, I'm a little more, I hate to use this term, but like I'm pear-shaped, like I'm larger on the yep. bottom. And that's really my concern. And so it's like, can you make something for me that would actually really solve my problem? So I think that there is an opportunity for frankly to to really kind of play in this non-standard fit market if we can figure yes. out exactly how to control SKUs and all of that. I was just gonna say, this is the, again, I love this business. Like the more I, I hear what you're saying here, I, I absolutely love the way that this business lines up because you know, a lot of times people look at, it, smart people look at it like a puzzle. And you're just trying to figure out what pieces are. People who have a, a passion for what they're doing that blinds their objectivity, they tend to go towards what they know or what's comfortable or safe or what people tell them, as opposed to what the pieces tell you. And I look at your puzzle and I'm going, 
if you wanted to cater to people with regular shape and fit, you'd go wholesale. Makes the most sense. It's cookie cutter. So you capture, I don't know what the actual number is. I'm just going to say it's half the population. It's probably actually a lot less. It's probably like 30% of the population actually a standard fit and the rest are just fucking odds and ends. If you want to go to the people who are regular fit, you might as well go wholesale. You might, yes, I know you want to stay in touch with your customer, but you could, you could do that if you wanted to pay extra and make social media like a major component of your business, like you're invested in it. You can always get around it. Wholesale, it's about as many SKUs that it costs the same amount to make as possible and getting them everywhere. But your business says, I am odds and ends. I am misshaped. And I don't mean that in a negative. I mean, I'm just not the same as the standard shape. I am not cookie cutter. And there are more of those people out there than there are those who are proportionally identical. And if you drew a brand around, we were built for people who felt like they weren't served, we serve them. You're not wholesale. Like the, the business, the puzzle pieces say your custom and personalization. And oh, by the way, the economy for personalization is through the roof and it's only going to get bigger mm -hmm. because every other part of our, our lives are being smushed into an algorithm and people feel like they're totally meaningless. So like everything in your calendar is saying, go, go as an individual and pursue whatever makes people feel like they were thought of. And I think you'll, then, you'll be viral con continually just because of that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there are, there are two pieces of that that are really a big piece of our go-to-market strategy there. And one is like, as we were setting up this business and talking to people in the industry and trying to find people that would work with us, we just heard over and over again that like, no, fashion designs for a B cup. And shockingly, when you would press people and be like, why? They would say, that's what looks good on a hanger. That's what people want to see on a hanger. Yeah. And that's- So you built this for a hanger. Is, right, exactly. <laughs> the, the average How very the 1980s of you. <laughs> right. The average woman in the United States wears a double D. Like we're underserving over 50% of the market yeah. just by doing what's always been done. And that's not something you have to do as an online pure play direct to consumer business. Like we don't have to worry about hangers. Um, and and we wouldn't even if we even if we had to, because that's stupid. But but that's yeah, that's like definitely um a big piece of it. And then like you were saying, that personalization, customization, we find that customers are Deloitte actually, which is another former employer, did a huge study on this. And consumers are willing to wait longer, pay more for something that they feel like is really tailored to them. Yes. And it doesn't have to be like a made to measure, which would be a very difficult business to get into, especially as an online pure play. But it's allowed us to do sort of build our basis of our business on this pre-order model, which helps with cash flow, helps us to actually become a much more sustainable brand by not creating so much excess inventory that ends up in a landfill. Yep. Um, so people are willing to, to wait a little longer and do this pre-order basis uh, because they know that it's going to fit them better. Um, and we've seen that that has not, people have not been resistant to that as an idea. And I really hope that fashion moves closer to that end of the spectrum. Well, I think you answered your own question about the, the Kickstarter piece. You don't, you don't need to lose out on the benefits of Kickstarter because you leave Kickstarter. Like in actuality, uh, with the exception of the web traffic, you probably actually perform better because you don't have to give discounts and you still have pre-order. Like if it's all just about trying to con control inventory, I 100% I, I agree with you. I think that, that people want personalization over not 
And that actually might even play into why some of the, the ladies are not buying on Kickstarter because that when they get to, they see everything about you from the original post to the website and then they get to Kickstarter and that's where they depersonalize. So it's like everything about this up to this point was personalized and then all of a sudden it wasn't some out. And if, if your yeah. real challenge here is just t- trying to manage inventory, I personally don't like, it's, it's so funny, but again, it goes right back to the original point of like wholesale cookie cutter, personalized, not, not cookie cutter. Everyone wants same day, next day, every day delivery. But I walk down the stairs, down the hallway where my wife has been taking advantage of that same day delivery. And there's 20 boxes and they're all unopened and she doesn't give a shit anymore because it's a week ago and she hasn't even opened it. And this is something you wait for. And we've gotten to this society where you scroll through images every day, meaning you don't really give a shit about the pictures you did take with your family because you're, you're just like, it's just like another photo op. And you buy things on Amazon everywhere overnight, bang, 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 bang. You don't think about it. This is something you're actually like looking forward to. You order it, you size it. It's for you, made for you. And when it comes, I guarantee you, you're shuffling another 20 boxes off the top and you grab this one. So I actually think you benefit again that you will take a little longer to get a little bit more effort was put into making this for you. And that's your, yeah. that's your mantra. I love it. This is cool. Surprise it's and delight. Really business. <laughs> Surprise and delight. All that's left. You have to come out with a, a boy's version called Hankley. And it's for <laughs> portly fellows like myself who feel uncomfortable putting on their jeans after COVID. Hankley <laughs> apparel, frankly, and Hankley. <laughs> I love it's it. I want to be a business partner in, in Hankley apparel. <laughs> love it. Oh man. This has been a ton of fun. Um, people, where do people go to, to actually find the product? Where do they follow you? Um, and obviously go to the Kickstarter and look up Frankly Apparel. Yeah, absolutely. So you can find us on um, on Kickstarter. Look up Frankly, look up Braless Clothing. We should pop up. Um, you can follow us on any social outlet. Our uh, handle is always at Frankly Apparel, F-R-A-N-K-L-Y Apparel. Um, and then you can also visit our site, franklyapparel.com. And there's tons of information there about, you know, who we are, why we do what we do and how we do it. Awesome. Very cool, Heather. You can all follow me at Hankley Apparel. I'm on Twitter. Um, (laughs) At Katoon, hashtag, you got to do that. (laughs) Hashtag Hankley Apparel. Everyone else listening to this show, you can follow this podcast at uh, Technori on podcast. Anywhere you get your podcast, go to technori.com, sign up for the newsletter. And you can follow me everywhere at Katoon or apparently at Hankley Apparel. Boom, that's a wrap. (laughs)